0: Hello and welcome to The Fire Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Rhodes. On today's episode, surrendering our will and how doing so empowers us to walk in prophetic promises, the dangers of having singular headship over a local church, and does the Father have an indictment against the different models of doing church? Peter DeWitt is the lead pastor of a Gothos Church in Columbus, Ohio. He has a background in education, having served first as a science teacher then as an administrator, and now as a consultant. His wife, Megan, led him to the Lord while they were both in college at The Ohio State University, and they now have four boys. As a pastor, consultant, and resource creator, Peter is called to assist in mobilizing ministers in various spheres of culture through kingdom-focused mentorship, perspective, and articulation. He also co-authored a powerful book called The Surrendered Will with Danny Ortiz that explores how we must surrender our will like Jesus did in the garden. This is part two of my conversation with Peter DeWitt. If you missed part one, you will want to jump jump back to the previous episode because uh, you you don't want to miss that. It was, it was so good. Uh, Peter has been, in the last few months, one of my favorite people to talk to because I always feel... The presence of Holy Spirit when I talk to Him, and I feel like, uh, just like His bio said, He He helps our He helps me uh, to articulate and put language to the things that God's put in my heart, uh, just by letting Him talk and and sharing stuff, and then He He brings examples and stories, and it just it's been incredible. So if you have not heard that that previous episode, make sure you jump back to that episode before listening to this one. And uh if you have already listened to it, I hope you enjoyed it. And there's so much more to come in this part of the conversation. If if this podcast has impacted you at all, uh make sure you share it with a friend, share it on social media, help us get the word out there, leave us a review on Spotify. On Apple Podcasts, make sure you follow, subscribe. All those things actually help us come up higher in the search the search bar. So when people are looking for podcasts, they will come across ours. And there are people that need to hear this podcast. They need to hear the conversations that are happening here. And uh, it'll actually put help put language to what God's doing in their hearts. And so that's part of why we're here. If you'd like to support what we're doing, you can do so by going to firemovement.com slash support once again, that's firemovement.com slash support. There you can give a one-time or monthly gift that helps us continue to grow this podcast. Uh, this is our, as you've noticed, we've moved into the video realm of things, um, which I want to continue to do, and I want to continue to grow the podcast. So That's par- been part of my promise to you guys as I've invited you to support is I'm going to continue to grow this. And uh, and so if you want to support, there, there's, there's more to come, and there's more that we can do. So with your help. And, uh, and thank you guys for praying for us and supporting us in, in other ways as well. So uh, let's jump into our conversation uh, part two with Pierre DeWitt after a quick sponsor segment.
1: Religion loves Jesus the teacher, is even okay with Jesus the prophet. Religion is not okay with Jesus the breaker of bondage, the transformer of hearts, the savior of nations. Because the real Jesus is the anointed one He doesn't just have good teachings He is the, the breaker of bondage He will transform you but you got to go after knowing Him more He's worth it He's worth, he's worth your time He's worth your life And there's, there's nothing this, this city, this nation The nations of the world Are not going to be transformed by a satisfied people They're going to be transformed by lovesick warriors Because if He's for us Who can be against us? If the king of the universe and all of his goodness, all of his backing, if all of heaven is for you, is standing behind you, supporting you, how, how could anything succeed against you? How could you fail? We could We could change the world. That's not just a fun phrase. If you'll give your life to this thing, to the real thing, if you'll find the real Jesus, the one who burns with eyes of fire, if you'll get a real hunger in your belly and you don't let anything else stop you, and if if you'll align yourself with who you are as a son or daughter of God, there is nothing that can stop you.
0: This is The Fire Podcast. Well, I'm back here with Peter Dewitt uh, for the second half of our conversation. Uh, in our little break in between, we actually began to talk about family uh, and just raising kids and that sort of thing. And um, can you share what you what you just said about you know uh, tilling the ground in your your own home, that sort of thing? Can you share a little bit of that?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, this is um, this is a little bit. Um, I don't know the right word, fresh, you know. But um, just I'm just learning personally, you know, to be plain how to really take um, greater care for my family. And I think that one of the things that's so important in the kingdom space, like we can know that we're called, and we can have broad perspective, and um, and all of that sort of thing. But you know, we have to be stewards, uh, as my friend Chris Bassett talks about. You know, faithful with little, given much. And so on one hand, I'm I'm more convinced. Than ever of sort of um, some broad perspective and broad um, support and service that I can provide to the body of Christ. On the other hand, I'm I'm, I'm digging in more at home and prioritizing home uh, more than ever before. So, um, yeah, I think that's what you're referring yeah. to.
0: Yeah, and also fresh. My wife and I have been having this conversation a lot lately. Um, both of us were. <clears throat> we've been kind of turned off in the past to like uh i've heard people say revival looks like family and i've heard that over and over again and Mm -hmm. i think part of the reason i was kind of turned off by that is because i would see people who basically weren't doing much of anything saying revival looks like family and um Mm -hmm. and i've also seen family be an idol we've all we've all seen those people Mm -hmm. that their lives are ruled by soccer games and ballet and (laughs) all kinds of stuff um -hmm. but recently here like really recently in the last like week or so um i mean it's been a little bit longer that that's been stirring but we've been putting language to that and like really getting to the heart of what it looks like for revival to look like family and uh and just realizing like Mm. how essential this is that's why i wanted to hop on and start recording we were just having this conversation offline but i'm like man this is somebody's going to need to hear this. I know we actually have a big following of moms of all, of all things. Um, I have a lot of women who are moms that I've gotten feedback and stuff from. Um, But realizing like revival does look like family, but it's not in the way, I don't think it's in the way we think. Um, And Hmm. I think it's about, uh, I, I don't fully know, but I know like for us, like the steps we've been taking that have been so incredible is like, including our kids in everything. Mm-hmm. and not separating them from it and so like things like you know we did a fast and i my daughter would always be like asking me about food like hey do you want this or oh can we go get ice cream or whatever and i'd be like you know papa can't because i'm fasting do you remember why we fast and she'd be like because we love jesus and i'm like exactly and you know she's mm-hmm. she's turned three um and she'd always forget you know because they have no concept of time so a few days would go by, and she'd be like asking for something else, or trying to trying to feed me something. And I was like, I can't, I can't eat that. You, you remember why? And she's like, Oh, you're fasting. And I was like, Why do we fast? Because we love Jesus, you know. And mm-hmm. and um, and like even with like the worship and stuff we were doing at our house, I think the reason, um, especially this last one, this last one we did, people started having encounters around the room, uh, in a really profound way. I don't, it was nothing prophetically prophetically <clears throat> was released. It wasn't like you know, whatever, um, we were just worshiping Jesus, like, really plainly, and all of a sudden, people start having these mm. incredible, one girl said, it's like, one of the craziest encounters she's ever had in her life, people who knew her, like, longer than us, are looking at her, like, we've never seen her cry, <laughs> you know, like, and, like, what's happening, mm. what is happening, Wow, you know, but that was happening to several different people in the room, and I'm looking around, like, man, like, a big part of this is because we've, we've committed in our hearts to pray and worship as a family, regardless, like, if people show up yeah. they show up but like we've been doing this over and over again daily um and like mm-hmm. even including our kids in you know we we reached out to people and started getting prayer requests for different people and we wrote my note cards and we'd like all lay our hands on them and like as a family we're doing that together and that's the kind of stuff like man you when you started because i was just asking you about kids uh and just some things with my kids and uh yeah but just getting into that family piece um i think it's so important I think it's really important that our kids see us live out the gospel, but also include them, not just do it in front of them, but
2: include them in it. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah, there doesn't need to be a divide between the generations in that regard. You know, I think that, that part, of, part of what your heart and what you're describing is sort of this idea of replicating ministry uh, in your children. And I think that I think that there's uh, really something about that sort of replication type culture. What's interesting is you talked about how you struggled with, you know the kingdom, and we can come back to the, some particulars about family perhaps too, but you struggled with how you talked about, you, you talked about how you struggled with with the kingdom looks or revival looks like family, right? And I'm starting to become also a little sensitive to those sorts of statements um because they often are sort of reductionistic for yeah. lack of a better word you know it's kind of like i'm taking something if i'm making a statement like that just personally i mean you know as a preacher it's really funny because it's like if i look back to 10 years ago on one hand i'm always surprised like wow that was really anointed <laughs> on the other hand i'm yeah. sort of like 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 you're like that really was anointed but then i'm also surprised like okay wow i have a whole fresh perspective on some of that now I- Which gives me some humility because I can't wait until 10 years from now. I'll be looking back to now. And on this podcast, I'll be like, that was really anointed. And there'll be other things where I'm like, okay, I've got a kind of a fresh perspective on that now with 10 more years and a little bit more track record, you know. Well, I I just,
0: I went to, I had all my preaching in Columbus like right before we left. Powerful. I mean, those nights were incredible. I'm listening to it. God's tangibly on it. And there's things I'm saying. I'm like, I, because I was going to repost it and start posting on the podcast just for people to hear some some of my teachings, because I haven't done much in the last three years, I was like, "Nope, <laughs> like I need, I, I need to redo <laughs> some of these." And like, I'm, I'm just gonna wait. Yeah.
2: So, anyways, yeah, go on. So, so one of the things I've noticed if I look back over <clears throat> my preaching is that I tend to tended, uh, probably still do, tend to say this is the thing. Or mm-hmm. and really, what I'm doing a lot of times in that I just, I've discovered in my heart is I'm taking something God gave me and sort of in a reductionistic way saying this is wow. the key or this is the essence of that or whatever. And I think we tend to do that. And to be honest, it probably has more of a place in sales and marketing than it does in ministering the word of God. Wow. And, um, because what, what ends up happening is when we brand things as ministers, we actually run the risk of enslaving people to partial understandings of the scripture. Um, the people like to have simple things and the reality is most of the kingdom my friend Mark Crawford talks about this so well the word and you know we talked before in the previous episode about how the word of faith needs to go with the surrendered will you know those have to go together it's the word of faith and the surrendered will one of those truths apart from each other is really difficult grace needs to go with with the fear of the Lord you know the grace of God and the fear of the Lord they need to go together And so oftentimes what happens is we end up with these sort of reductionistic phrases like revival looks like family. And in this last season, I've been studying some of these things. And there was a book that's been very helpful to me called Elephant in the Boardroom. And it's actually about pastoral transitions. The part of the book I really enjoyed was was a commentary on four types of church culture. And it gave uh, four different types of church culture and plainly um, simply stated, and you, people could get the book, but simply stated what it, what it really comes down to is that there's a family culture where the priority is sort of that, that things feel and look like family. There's less of an orientation towards productivity, more of an orientation towards relationship for okay. lack of a better phrase. And then they talk about, there's other type and they aren't saying any of these church cultures are wrong or better. They're saying all of these can be effective for the kingdom. This book was written probably 20 years ago. Another church culture they describe as iconic church culture. So you have a a charismatic front man um, who, like the pastor as a living logo. And usually those pastors create really high caliber teams around them and accomplish at a very high level, both probably in their church and in the community, like we talked about before in the previous episode. And then you have archival culture where the style that's really valued is not so much the, the relationships as much as a body of knowledge. So, like, if you have this body of theological knowledge, like, that's what the real value is here. Mm -hmm. Those create real stability. Um, But, of course, they can also probably fail to engage the changing culture around them in an authentic, meaningful way. And then, finally, there's a replication culture, which is about, really, the pastor um, creating ministers, you know, the lay—I don't like this phrase, but turning lay people into ministers— you know, so the effect of the replication culture, the effectiveness of that culture comes through this extent to which ministry is given away and, and, and members of the church are sort of sent and equipped to do the work of ministry. And so what's fascinating to me about that is here's four very viable church cultures that many of us, as I even share that, could probably relate to, you know, oh, that church that I was in was really that mm-hmm. culture and that church that I was in was really that culture and all of them can be effective. But what's fascinating to me is that I thought I was going to read that and figure our church, which is a smaller church, would be family culture. And then I read it and I'm like, oh, we're a dead ringer for replication culture. And I think that I think a lot of what goes on in the body of Christ sometimes is we catch a wind of something from heaven and we say it's the thing instead of a thing. And and that actually can enslave people. Um, You know, I wrote the books, The Surrendered Will with Danny, and I was struggling a little bit to put it out once we were all done. Because I'm like, oh, there's this element that could be misunderstood or whatever. And the Lord spoke to me very clearly. He said, Peter, the surrendered will is a thing, not the thing. He said, you know, you, you can't get all of doctrine into one book. You can't cover all the bases. They're just pieces, parts. And so I think that, I think this whole thing of like the kingdom's going to look like family. I think there's something really to it. But then the difficulty becomes when we say that is the thing, There's another group of people in the body of Christ that are very much kingdom as well. They love family. They love relationship. They have strong relationship in their body of believers. And they're like, the kingdom's going to look like productivity. You know, they're like, it's going to look like getting things done. Seek ye first, the kingdom of God. You know, like, I'm I'm, I'm on mission, you know, and and these things can seem like they're antithetical and yet they both exist in the heart of God, that there's a repose and a rest to family and concurrently there's a productivity to abiding in the vine you know and so it's like i think that there's this need to embrace um a more full view of some of these things and be careful uh when either as preachers we're saying this is the thing like if god told you it is the thing that's great but if he alerted you to something and said and you felt that the the intensity of it and now you've labeled it the thing i would encourage us to take the word the out of it and say this is a mm-hmm. thing
0: yeah yeah, I, I just had on uh, S.J. Newell of the uh, his YouTube and everything is the objective believer. He's awesome.
2: I, I, I saw that and I was like, Ooh, I'd like oh, I like to listen it's, to it.
0: It's good because it's probably it's the most different of of any of the podcasts I've done, um, just because of his his yes. knowledge base and like his focus is so different than any of the other guests I've had on. Um, yes. but we talked we talked a lot about that and uh, kind of in depth on you know how. It, it really just comes down to like, I think even parts of the body have different focuses. And he, he said something that was really yeah. good. He said, I think that I, he's like, sometimes I wonder if parts of the body, he wasn't saying this as a, a factual statement. He was, it was a question, but he's like, I, I kind of wonder if some parts of the body are the heart. And he's like, I'm not talking about like the organ of the heart. He's like, they're the heart. They're the feelings, mm-hmm. the, the emotion, yeah. that side. And then some parts of the mind, and and he's Mm -hmm. like and they need to work together and like you know and really influence each other but instead they oppose each other um and yeah it was it was just like i've never heard anybody say it that way like the feelings and stuff versus the intellect Uh, but we also just talked about like you typically demonize what you're not you know or attack what you're not and it's like well you're not doing yes you know i think he said it this way he's like you're an ear and I'm a nose and you're not sniffing enough, you know, so I'm, I'm going to, I think you're doing the wrong thing. Um, Another way that I think, I think it looks is um, I've, I've heard people make statements like a good father wouldn't do this you know, in relation Mm -hmm. to God. And it's like, well, a good father wouldn't kill Ananias and Sapphira, you know, he wouldn't kill his kids for lying, you know? Uh, (laughs) Yeah.
2: And Herod wouldn't be eaten by worms. (laughs) Perhaps I don't know, but he was. So
0: it's like, I, you can't, you can't just limit God to the, the description of him, uh, that you most relate to. it's like, he actually is, he's, he's bigger than that. He's like, there's multiple
2: descriptors because he's bigger than one of them. And yes, and, yeah, and this is one of the difficulties that I think that, we, um, that we're struggling with is, you know, we know don't judge another man's servant. And the word became, you know, one way you could look at all of ministry is the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, and, and I love that view of ministry because um, if, you, if you take that, as people have a relationship with the word of God, intimacy with Jesus, they abide in the vine and fruit comes out of them naturally. But you just even look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Fruit came out of them pretty naturally. The same stories were told pretty differently, even though they were the same sort of yeah. stories. You know, it had a different look. It had a different feel. I mean, you got to love John who writes in these riddles of, you know, and, and it's it's heart and it's how it connects and his heads on the breast of Jesus, that sort of type of thing. And then you've got Luke who it's like, uh, you know, Being that I've made, I've come up with a perfectly orderly account of everything which has happened. I'm writing to you, most excellent Theophilus, you know, so that you could have absolute certainty in the things in which you've been instructed. And you're like, these are two very different approaches. Mark is all action. You know, it's like miracle to miracle to miracle to miracle. Matthew honors the genealogy and sort of the historical Jewish context of things. And so it's the same Christ. It's the same Holy Spirit working through. But the expression Of course, 1 Corinthians 12, the expression is different. You know, one spirit, but different expressions, different gifts, right? And I think it is really important that we give some room for that. I think it's going to become increasingly important because if we've had the view of that in terms of, yeah, different people do different jobs in our church service, we're going to see a really expanded view of the diversity of expressions of Christ when it's like, well, they have a church that's actually a coffee shop. And their ministry is art for companies, Yeah. you know, and that sort of type of thing. It's like, that's going to, we're going to have to have a lot more latitude for one another and where Christ is leading us. Of course, not negotiating on the non-negotiables, but, but knowing that just because I can't see a thing, just because I can't, can't kind of understand how that fits in being careful not to judge it. Yeah. Wow. That's so good.
0: That's really good. Yeah, because, I mean, I, we, it's, it's almost easier to look across the body, across the world, where people don't necessarily look like us, and it's an expression of the church, and be like, oh, yeah, it's a different part of the body, and that's beautiful, but mm-hmm. when it's down the street, and it looks different, and they're functioning different, I mean, Jesus is yes. so diverse that when he, he split up the giftings that he was doing to give them to the church, there were five, you know, main, the fivefold to serve the church, and then there's all the other giftings, and all, all the things, it's like not yeah. one person could, could do everything. So he had to split himself up. Yes. This might be, you made me think of this and this might be heresy. So you can call me out if it is, but I had never thought of it this way, but you, you using the word became flesh right next to the gospel writers. It made me think like, if we're all being conformed to the image of Christ, we are all the word. uh, We become the word uh, in in flesh. And each of our expressions of that will be different because it's coming. It is coming through our flesh and who we are and our personality. And so, as we're conformed to the image of Christ, I, I just think we have to have such such um, such honor and patience with each other, and recognize like people are different, and that's okay. Um, there's just su- such a
2: yes, man, I, and I, I yeah, and I think that's a lot of where the family analogy um, comes back in. One time, the Lord did speak to me, and I'm still on a journey, you know. I love what my dad says about parenting. He's like, it sure wasn't for lack of trying. You know, my parents did such a great job showing up as parents and just really being there. I'm not just talking about events, but they showed up every day as parents and were earnest in it. And I, I love the perspective talking with people that now have grandchildren and stuff. You know, they're like, boy, we sure didn't have everything figured out, but it wasn't for lack of trying. You just keep showing up. But what, but what's in it, you know, the word that the Lord gave Megan once about that is love never fails right and so you just keep loving you keep loving you keep loving and that never yeah. fails and um which is so key because as parents you know i can just speak for myself it's like there's so many times and there's such a there's such a weight and some people listening right now might even feel like a weight of condemnation on them as it relates to their parenting or something like that and i just want to encourage you love never fails just keep loving you know when you sort of fall off the boat so to speak and you feel like man i screwed that one up yelled at him again you know, or lost my temper or whatever. Just get back on the boat. Just keep loving. Love will not fail. And I love how God's like that. But, um, oh, I lost my, my, my train of thought. You, you had just talked about the word becomes flesh. The differences
0: and just having patience and honor with one another.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The family model is so interesting in that regard. Because in the family, we don't expect to own our children's work all of our lives. Mm. When we're raising up children, there's not this expectation. Now, I know there's such a thing as a family business, but in most families, there's this understanding that like, we're going to always be a unit. And at the same time, y'all are going to go some different places and do some different things. Like we're equipping you, we can equip you so far, but then there's going to also be like your schooling or a mentor in your business sphere that's going to help you or whatever. And you're going to go do great things out there. And we're going to come back together, not just for Thanksgiving. We're going to come back together for Sunday dinners, whatever. And we're going to be together. We're going to be a unit. But we actually accomplish great things out there individually as God's led us and developed us and gifted us and all of that. And we celebrate that. And your victory is my victory. And I'm some, some part of that victory. And wow. I celebrate it. And I don't feel the need for your conformity um, to my ministry. And I think in that way, there's there's some real room for family. And the Lord spoke to me once, um, and He said, "You know, Peter, um, family is the greatest representation of the kingdom on earth." And I said, "Okay, Lord, I need to hear from you to know if I actually heard correctly. That's a big statement." And the next day, as I was seeking Him about that, I think is the next day He said, "Didn't I choose to call myself Father?" And I think that there's 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 really something about that, you know. And so, so I think that there's room for us to discover. How we think about a thing determines what we think about a thing. So there's there's the, the angle we think about something from determines the thoughts that we have about that. And that actually kind of gets at the will in a certain way. But for instance, if we think of church as a family, that produces one type of thought. I'm not saying it's the best type of thought, but it is a certain type of thought. If we think of church as a school, that produces a different type of thought. If we think of church as a business, that produces a type of thought that obviously many in the body of Christ right now are recoiling about. You know, If we think of church as a governance structure, that would be a whole different type of thought. I don't even know how you would do that. But you know, how we think about a thing determines what we think about mm-hmm. a thing. And so I think that there's something to being able to look through the lens of family and say, what, what would this be like if it were like a family? And in what ways are we different than that right now? And are those... Commensurate with how the gospel describes uh, church culture, uh, or are they different than that? You know, and I think that those can be helpful lenses to really challenge ourselves. What what do we mean when we mean mm. church? It's interesting how you said that. Though uh, the
0: the different types of ways you see, you could think about church, all of those exist within family. It is it there mm-hmm. is schooling, there is the family structure, there is a governance yeah. structure, uh, and there. Yeah. In in proper family like in jewish even jewish tradition there is business and they're teaching your kids how to think about money and 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 grow yes uh, commerce and that sort of thing and like that all really does one of the things that's kind of interesting so i was uh, doing some premarital counseling out here and i um we were going through in ephesians where it talks about wives submit to your husbands and just kind of like i just stopped there and just like you know, what's your, because, you know, one of the things I've, I've noticed out here is like in the Midwest, most people know, kind of know scripture. Out here, it's like scripture yeah. is exceedingly important. You have to base everything in that because yes. people are open to everything. So I've just, everything I've done, I've tried to bring it back yes. to scripture. So we just start there. What's that? How's that Amen. feel? You know, what, what do you, what do you, what comes to mind when you hear that, you know, talking through some of that. Yeah. But what's crazy is right before that, like. There's a separation there that is man-made, but right before that, it's telling people to submit to each other, members of the church. yeah, and so, so we yeah. started to talk about that, and it's like there's something to this this piece of of the office and the responsibilities that we can begin to recognize what is my office or responsibility and what is your office and responsibility, and it's honor you honor a prophet you receive the prophet's reward honor a righteous men receive the righteous man's mm-hmm. reward it's honor that actually allows me to receive from your office and it's not it's not yes and so this is what we got into is like even that in the body this idea of um submitting to one another it says in the fear of the lord yeah. and to me in the fear of the lord is yeah i'm not going to touch what he's doing on in you or try to stifle that try control mm-hmm. that like i'm going to honor yeah. that in the fear and have a reverence yeah. for what God's doing in you Bill Johnson's famous for talking yeah. about that. Like he won't talk bad about anyone. Um, cause he, mm-hmm. he has too much fear of the Lord over who they are. And, but, so it yeah. has that right before the, the husbands and wives. And then it says the the husband's the head, but it's not a hierarchy. It's actually they're, they're co-equal doing it together, but his mm-hmm. office has a different responsibility level than the wife and their responsibilities and what they provide to the relationship is different and so in that like man like what you what god spoke to you about the kingdom um and and it being seen in family like that's incredible because that's true and it's like even with our kids like i've learned so much from my kids and it's not that i'm i'm lording Mm over them and ultimately like even if there is a hierarchy now eventually there's not going to be Eventually they're gonna leave my house and mm-hmm. I'm I'm still their father, but I'm not the ruler over them or you know, I'm not there to discipline them yeah. or anything. I'm I'm gonna be there to encourage them and you know, have good conversation yeah. and things like that and maybe maybe I have to step in and suggest a different way. But they it's their life at that point. And and we, we even see yes. that in the Trinity, Jesus honors the father, but it's because the father's office, he was honoring the office of his father, saying he's he's greater than I, but they're both equal as God. Yep. So they're, yeah. they're just, it's profound.
2: Yeah. Well, the last gentleman you had on might be able to parse out this theology for us, but I think <laughs> that you're hitting on something that's so 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 strong, which is the idea of mutual submission. And I think it's actually key to the, the coming governance structure of the church, or for some of the organic church in particular, I should say. One of the things that C. Peter Wagner wrote about and I like I like his writings because I think he was, one, ahead of his time, and, and two, put language to some things that at least open up realms of thought. And he kind of worked as like a kingdom researcher for those that are not familiar with him and, and really sort of spoke into some things almost from a study sort of mm-hmm. perspective. Like he'd study what was going on and be able to kind of articulate it in some sort of a condensed way. And he talked about the idea of vertical apostles versus horizontal apostles. And at the time, what he was describing is that there was... Um, there was really only a construct for vertical apostleships. In other words, hierarchy basis. So you're an apostle if you've got a denomination and there's people under, you know, sort of pastors underneath you, they, they they report to you, they submit to you, you know, that sort of type of thing. But he started to hatch this idea and talk about this idea of horizontal apostles, which is more what you're saying, where there's relationship and there's mutual submission. It's actually honor that drives the receiving as opposed to sort of, um, you know, having a specific hierarchy and being over uh, certain individuals. And I think that there's some room to explore in this next season, what some of those things might look like.
0: Really uh, there is. And we've kind of had this conversation too offline, but like even figuring out what does it look like to have, uh, to not have singular headship and, and not Mm -hmm. because once again, like that's one of those things like we, we, we talked about this like weeks ago, months ago, but like, I don't see singular headship in the Bible, and no, not over a local church. Yeah, and family. almost all of our churches are structured that way. They might have a board or a board of elders, a, a business board, something like that as well. Um, but you don't see many that are uh, plural headship, and which is scary to me yeah. because, uh, I mean, we're seeing it right now with with some of the stuff going on with Hillsong, and I don't, I'm not I'm not interested sure. in getting into all the gossip of, of that. But like, you know, you. Even if it's a lie, if you can you can defame mm-hmm. and attack and tear down someone publicly enough that it can cripple what they're doing, and if you have a singular mm-hmm. head uh, over something like that, it can destroy the whole mm-hmm. thing. And and I I I don't yeah. think that that's and and even in the days we're we're heading into, like we could we could legitimately see in our lifetime or in our kids' lifetime a church in America mm-hmm. that pastors are arrested uh, for preaching the gospel. That's mm-hmm. that's totally that that's not as as far off as i think i think we think it is I, you know with the stuff we're mm-hmm. seeing in canada which you know our neighbor to the north that's not it's not in north korea mm-hmm. or something it's happening in canada um, mm-hmm. so then you arrest the pastor and then what you know and and so you've got like the underground yeah. church in china they're raising up they've got pastors as young as like 7 years old they're raising up and just trusting wow. the power of the holy spirit and you know they're they the pastors get taken and i've got friends who are who I spoke to or who have been missionaries there for like 40 or 50 years. And, uh, and they were telling me about their pastors got um, just got shipped to Thailand. Um, they got freed after like, they were all taken from their people for I think three years. Um, they were all arrested. All the pastors, they rounded them all up and arrested them. They finally yeah. got released, but they're beaten and tortured in prison and all this stuff. And it's like, if, mm. if that's all that you have, the church would be done. Mm. And I think most mm-hmm. churches are set up in a way that you're one figurehead if he was eliminated mm-hmm. and, it, and it doesn't even yeah. you know I was, I was just on a because uh, I work with different church networks as part of my job mm-hmm. and I was on a call or on listening to one of their conferences on live stream and one of the pastors shared a story This he's out of um, somewhere in the Midwest I believe and he said and, and so it doesn't even have to be that my point with this story is it doesn't even have to be the pastor that has the downfall or whatever like basically what happened mm-hmm. was him and his wife both got hit with covid they recover the week they recover mm-hmm. they find out that his his daughter-in-law is his son is a worship leader and and his son's wife cheated with the other worship leader so that comes out that all comes out oh. publicly and so then they're dealing with that both it's both a family crisis cuz it's his daughter-in-law and a and church, a church crisis. crisis and then his mom dies a week later and so he's just oh, like God. overwhelmed and he said and then the people were looking at him saying lead us and that just broke my heart because i'm thinking there's there's not a human being on earth yeah like that's, that that's you know? so it's Impossible. unhealthy to to have that kind mm-hmm. of a structure that there's no one that can step in and say hey you go deal with with this offline
2: and we'll lead yeah. the church Yeah. You know? yeah there's a book that I've um, read, like I read all be- read all books, which is usually I skim them, <laughs> um, but it's it's called The Starfish and the Spider, and it was 2006 written about decentralization in the secular world as a descriptive study of how decentralization works. And they start with a very powerful story about the Apache Indians, and they had these sort of spiritual leaders called the the or something n a n t e s I think is how it was spelled. And what was interesting is that when the Spanish started coming into Central America and conquering uh, Native American tribes, those tribes were conquered, many of them, very, very quickly. I mean, the Spanish understood how to do this. If the Aztecs had one top guy, they would go take care of that top guy. And within just a matter of years, the entire culture crumbled. The entire civilization crumbled. Great civilizations crumbled. But actually, it took almost 300 years before the american government was actually able to like overtake the apache indians and i know that's not a not a happy thing to to communicate but in other words what i'm trying to say is somehow the apaches were way more resilient to the influx and takeover hostile takeover that that other indian native american tribes experienced mm-hmm. and what this book describes is they had instead of one sort of senior leader they had um they had these nonce that were apparently like sort of spiritual leaders. And there's a couple characteristics of them that stood out. One, they were they were definitely like the innovative people that people wanted to follow. But they led by example. They actually didn't ask others to follow them. They just said, here's what I'm going to go do. And they did it out of a place of conviction. The other thing that was interesting is that as they did that, there was multiple ones of these at any given time. So you couldn't take out a singular leader. And so they led by example, which I think is fascinating. And they all led as, as you know, they were feeling led to lead. And you couldn't just take out the singular leader because if you took out one, there was nine others or 12 others or whatever within within the overall network that were doing yeah. that stuff. And another one of them would rise up, etc. They were unstoppable. And so, um, so that was fascinating. Actually, the only thing that caused them to finally be overtaken is that they were given cattle. And somehow that caused them to be overtaken, having to deal with those possessions somehow uh, made them vulnerable. Mm-hmm. But I think that, um, I think that I, you know, I can speak plainly and that's to say, I don't know that it's healthy for any single individual to oversee a body of believers. I don't see how that's possible for it to be healthy. I don't see how it's possible to be well-rounded. I don't see how it's sustainable for family, yeah. um, the family of the pastor, etc. There needs to be team. There needs to be support. There needs to be help. You know. Um, even um, I'm just speaking real candidly. I know you're fine with that. I I struggle to see how a pastor can have 52 unique messages in a year. I, God just doesn't speak to me that much. Mm-hmm. Um, not in a way that's profound enough that other people need to hear it, or well developed enough that it's ready to be heard. You know, I don't need to be a sermon machine. You know, and, and I, you know, yes, maybe if someone's ministered for 30 or 40 years, they've just got so much in the tank that they just pull out some different things that the Lord's laying on their heart and they've got it already sort of built up. And that's, I'm sure, a different story. But we need team in the body of Christ. And so often what happens in every industry, in every sphere of culture, is sometimes the structure actually dictates what's put into it. And Jesus, of course, famously talks about a wineskin and wine. And, and often what happens is, is the very wineskin sort of dictates the type of thing that's acceptable within it. And so, like you say, often what we have is you might have a business board or something like that for a church. They hire a pastor as as a hired worker, and now the pastor is the professional that performs the ministry. And then, that, then of course, then you have to have all of these sermons, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and I think that it puts a lot of people in a very, um, I don't want to use too strong a word, but a compromised spot And, um, whereas team, I think changes that dynamic changes that, you know, having a core team, having people with different strengths that come together to help shepherd the flock that's among you with diligence. And I think that that's what we see in the new Testament is that it's more, more often a group of elders that had apostolic support outside of them, uh, to support them in shepherding the flock that was among them with diligence. Yeah. Yeah. That's.
0: Man, and I think this might be a good. We don't have to get extensively into um, into deconstruction because I actually would like to have you on um, as one of the people to you know be, maybe be in a, a round table or something and talk about deconstruction. Yeah, That'd we be talked fun. about that. Um, but that kind of brings me to like so deconstruction. Um, if you've listened to the podcast, you've heard me. You've heard me speak about this before. Um, it's kind of a loaded term at this point. Um, because you mm-hmm. can go to a coffee shop and get a deconstructed latte, uh, but you know at the same time, deconstruction actually is an academic term, and so a lot of um, and and you some people are using it to mean they're kind of just figuring out what they believe, and other people, it, if they understand it's an academic term, which I think is from like 1976. Um, I forget the guy the guy's okay. name who was the first one to really coin the term, um, but it's this idea of ultimately burning something to the ground to then build it back up and so um, yeah i just wanted to define that for everyone i think that's why it's so loaded and that's why you'll have people on one hand who are like deconstruction is demonic and then other people who are like pro deconstruction and i think i think really the the thing is what are you deconstructing and it's like you you're not gonna Mm -hmm. you have zero right to deconstruct the faith (laughs) Jesus determines Mm -hmm. the faith, the Bible determines the faith, and that's where people get in a dangerous place, and they believe you have to tear down scripture and and rebuild with the pieces that fit culture uh, today, and that is Mm. a very dangerous thing. I, on the other hand, I think we're seeing a deconstruction of church more than we're seeing a deconstruction of faith, Mm -hmm. and I think that's threatening a lot of pastors, because people are beginning to question, why are we doing what we're doing? and i'm not saying church needs to yeah. be burned to the ground but i do think it's it's important yeah. to begin to look at what what is what's happening what's good what's bad what what was for a previous yeah. season and we can honor that and but we're heading into something else yeah um so i just want to hear what what's some of your thoughts on on deconstruction or you know what what's currently happening
2: yeah great question well first of all i think it's brilliant that you're defining terms um you know i remember a little bit ago i got a few different thoughts here. A, a little bit ago, uh, the Lord was starting to speak to me about the importance of terms and we really cannot have scholarship in the body of Christ and research and diligence in these things until we define terms and actually know what we're talking about. Often entire bodies of research in the academic sphere work on uh, defining a term over you know 15 or 20 years worth of a body of research where they start to kind of all hone in together to say, when we talk about this, this is what we mean. And that's essential or else we can't really have critical conversation and challenge one another because we aren't even talking about the same thing and we can talk past each other. So I think it's brilliant that you're defining those terms. You know, I think that scripturally, there's a lot of precedent for structures that were not, that were ostensibly for God, but actually keeping people from God being removed. You know, Jesus dealt with the money changers because that was actually keeping people from relationship with God. Um, but there's also a lot of precedent in Scripture for people getting offended about things and hurt by things and then having wrong responses about the things that they get offended and hurt by. I think all of those things and more are happening currently in deconstruction. Um, The difficulty is, and there's there's um, there's a young gentleman that's in our congregation that I think gave me the best thing that I've heard about deconstruction so far, at least one of the best comments I've heard, and I asked him what he thought about it because many of his friends were, were kind of in that process, so to speak. And he said, you know, as I've thought about it, the thought that keeps coming to mind is not so much the questions that they're asking being wrong, but, but the audience that they ask them in. Mm-hmm. And he's saying he's finding that people are asking hard questions that God would not be afraid of. And perhaps the church really should not be afraid of answering some of these genuine questions of, of its members um, and our brothers and sisters. But he said that often they end up asking those questions outside of the church and outside of God. And you can guess the sort of answers that you're going to get when you ask hard faith questions and your audience is not God and it's not people. That actually comes down to the will because a man isolates himself, seeks his own desire and rages against all sound wisdom. So we'll know what sort of answers we're going to get based on how we position ourselves in an audience, right? And so if your heart's already turned from God, if your heart's already turned from your fellow brothers and sisters because of judgment or whatever, and you isolate yourself from them, you're not going to get the answers of faith as you deal with hard faith questions. You're actually going to get different things. So there's a responsibility on the individual believers in this deconstruction moment where, where if, that's, if you're grappling with those hard questions, first of all, know that God is not intimidated by your questions so don't take them to someone else other than God, you know, or make sure that you're at least taking them to God is a better way to say it. But then also know that there's many brothers and sisters in Christ that are okay with your questions as well and, and hash those out in fellowship because when we isolate ourselves, it's actually because we're seeking our own desire and we're about to, if we're not already, raging against all sound wisdom. And so, so the individual believer has a responsibility when asking hard questions to bring it into the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, but also the fellowship of one another. And then the church at large, especially us leaders in the body of Christ, have a real responsibility not to demonize something that might very well be some of God. And, you know, um, it's very easy to challenge. I mean, listen, companies buy out other companies all the time to keep them from having market competition. Like that's just a reality in business. And if we're not careful in the church, we could actually try to squash conversations that, that could be affecting our livelihood. Mm. I mean the, 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 the real the reality wow. is that the, the, the reality um the reality is that Stephen Furtick preaches way better than me. T. D. Jakes preaches way better than me. I mean I can't listen to a T.D. Jakes message and not cry. I mean that guy just brings down the house when he preaches. Stephen Furtick, the same way, that guy's incredible. And so when COVID happened and people sort of went to their Zoom churches and stuff like that, it's going to raise a question for a lot of believers, particularly younger believers. They're going to be like, so I'm going to church for a message and a worship performance, but Maverick City's better than my local worship team and Stephen Furtick preaches better than Peter. So do I really, what do I get? out of this and that's going to just create a disruptive influence but it's not a bad disruptive influence. There is still a huge place for the local body of believers and the assembling of the saints and a pastor who knows your name, knows your history and knows that you're triggered because of what your daddy used to do to you or something like that right now so he can actually pass you through that. Bill Johnson is brilliant, but Bill Johnson does not know me. Bill Johnson cannot pastor me because he does not know me I can get tons of insight from his and he's a macro influencer in the body of Christ but he can't micro pastor me because that requires relationship and accountability and so I think that these questions that we're that we're starting to grapple with are really big and one of the things that God's exposing in the body of Christ in this season is control and manipulation mm-hmm. and that sort of spiritual abuse has happened a lot in the body of Christ. And if someone listening has suffered from that, I want you to know that God saw it. God saw it and he's sorry that it happened. He's sorry for it. And I feel like I'm prophesying to at least one person right now, if not more. And I want you to, to know that God has compassion for you and what you went through in that, you know, because there's so much manipulation that can happen In any sphere of life, people will manipulate with money. People will manipulate with all sorts of things. Whenever they have this ulterior motive, they can manipulate with whatever resources they have. And sad to say, a pastor is capable of, and and leaders in the body of Christ are capable of manipulation, uh, using the word of God and using spiritual things. And I can do that too. There's an element of manipulation in just me if I say that this is the thing that God's doing right now you know i shouldn't say that if that's not the only thing that god's doing right now you know it's it's subtle it's a little bit but what i'm saying is people that have been hurt by the church i want you to hear loud and clear that god is for you 100% and the church is for you too the your brothers and sisters are for you too and i think that as leaders in the body of christ in as much as there's a responsibility for the individuals that are that are thinking deconstruction thoughts to keep the audience of God and, Holy, you know, keep the audience of Holy Spirit. Keep, keep the audience of the Word of God, please. And keep the audience of your fellow brothers and sisters. There's a, there's a responsibility incumbent upon us as leaders in the body of Christ to stop demonizing these things and start to realize some people have been hurt. And we need to reach out and embrace them. And also say there might just be something that God's doing here. Not throw the baby out with the bathwater and be a listening ear and see what we can do to help be a good audience, to help uh, there be some healing and also some growth and uh, movement in some things. Yeah.
0: Man, you hit so many things there. Um, I, I think the healing piece is huge. I think most of it, most most that I've seen is it somebody's been hurt in a church, and mm-hmm. that hurt leads them to, and, and I've seen people who have experienced miracles and all that stuff, but offense and hurt has a, a crazy way of making you forget. And, and people yeah. will begin to talk themselves out of things that they've experienced with God and everything out of offense and hurt towards people. And so uh, I, a friend of mine said this one time, she said, most of the healing you need is in the thing that, and it will be found in the same area that you were hurt. So like if you've been hurt in community, a lot of times wow. you need to get into a good community. And that's where the healing is going to come for the hurt that came from the other community. You know, if you've been hurt in a church, you need to get wow. into a church. You need to get into a good church and your healing is mm-hmm. going
2: to be there. And so... Can I stop you right there? Um, sorry to interrupt. Peter denied Christ next to a burning heap of coals. The Greek word there, when he stand next to, and the servant girl's like, you, "You, you're with him, right?" It was next to a burning heap of coals. That word only appears in the Greek one other place in the New Testament, and it's John twenty-one, where Peter is standing again with Jesus next to a burning heap of coals, and Jesus reinstates him. Into the ministry and into relationship with Him, next to the exact same place yeah. of failure of denying Christ before. So I just wanted to highlight that. That's an absolutely scriptural principle. Yeah. What your friend yeah. is saying.
0: And three times, three times he denied. Three times he was asked if he loves Him. You know. Yes. I, I love that. I that kind of stuff in Scripture. Like I, you know, one of the ones I was uh, I just shared in a message I did here in my house um, was like even even Jesus restoring. Um, so you got Adam and Eve, you got two humans and the snake ne- next to it uh, in between or with a, a tree. And then in yeah. John uh, 3, it says that Jesus, just like the serpent in, in the desert, um, you know, the bronze serpent, that he would be lifted up. So yes. the bronze serpent being our judgment yes. on a tree, on the, on the yes. rod, Jesus yes. would be the serpent on the tree. So, so Jesus is the Come serpent on. on the tree. And then next to him are two two criminals two humans and it's like the restoration of even humanity happens it's just like that's all throughout the bible oh my god over and over again um but i love i love that stuff man the other thing you said you said uh you might be working against god you know you might be attacking something out of protection for your livelihood and that's huge um even for the Mm -hmm. pastors on here like i've I, as i've talked to pastors about you know potentially going to, down to two services and things like that over the years that's what, always the biggest concern is offering you know and it's like mm-hmm. we have we a lot of times are trying to protect something that's a system that we've built because we've got all these salaries mm-hmm. because we we have a huge team and then we've got buildings that we use once or twice a week that we're paying bills on all week you know for electric all week and heating all mm-hmm. week and And uh, and so it's just a lot, you know, it's a lot for pastors to be looking at this, to feel even a lot. I think there's a lot of pastors that God's speaking what we're talking to. But there's they need that like infusion of of faith and courage to actually take this step because it is it it can be scary. And it then there's going to be all those lies of you could collapse everything that is built and you could destroy what's happening. And but it just makes me think of an axe. And I think it's in the story where Peter and John are arrested and like acts four. Um, where one of the the Sanhedrin or or somebody somebody on the council basically says like, "Hey, let's let's let them go. If this is God, uh, we don't want to be working yeah. against God. And if it's not, he'll take yeah. care of it. He'll it'll it'll fizzle out, basically yes. like all the other false false teachers of the day. And I man, yeah. I just I wonder how how much that's happening right now. Where there's people, I, I said something like this to you when we were talking about books. Um, with the book I'm writing is like. A big part of the, of the heart behind the book I'm writing is I believe there's a lot of young people, uh, people across the spectrum, but especially young people who are questioning things, who if pastors and leaders don't recognize that maybe they're seeing something that is worth having a conversation over and just shut it down as deconstruction, we're actually going to push them towards rebellion and and push them yes. out of the church instead of en- em- embracing Whoa. it and recognizing, like somebody has to have this conversation and be willing to say, you you yep. might actually be hearing God. Like let's let's talk about this. Let's yeah. let's explore this. Let's experiment. Let's try some things different. Um, and I, I think I think we're setting a generation up for
2: rebellion against the church, and that really concerns me. Wow, that's so fascinating. Because remember, just a few minutes ago, I said a real thing that God's addressing, and I had not planned to say that, is control and manipulation in the church. And unfortunately, it's been somewhat, you know, it's existed. And we know that that rebellion is as of the Mm. sin of witchcraft. Um, And, you know, what that means is witchcraft is about manipulation and rebellion is actually of the same spirit. And so often what happens is that the enemy baits us into trying to address the thing that he was doing uh, but we can't overcome evil with evil. And so oftentimes what happens is like people experience control and manipulation, which is witchcraft. But then what they do is their own form of witchcraft, which is called rebellion. And that rebellion is the same manipulation and control. It's like the passive and aggressive forms of control, you know, and it it, it doesn't bear the fruit of righteousness, you know. So I think that there's, there's really something to what you're saying. And, uh, you know... Um, would it be all right if I shared that, that vision that I had about 2018, maybe fall 2018, I went into, um, this vision. It was a little weird for me actually, like as you know, I know you guys talk a lot about how do you relate with Holy Spirit. And, um, it was weird because I started to hear sort of like voices in prayer one day and I was like, man, this might be second heaven stuff. (laughs) Like, you know, maybe tune in, (laughs) make sure you're tuned in correctly here. Um, and I was like, well, how about this? I'll just write down what I'm hearing. This is sort of a new experience for me. And then I'll be sure to judge it by the word, you know, uh, which is a great way to, to deal with new prophetic experiences is one, to submit them to others and two, to submit them to the word. And, and so I just started writing down what I was hearing. And I heard this phrase that, that your birthday is supposed to become your earth day. And I saw this, this um, believer sort of stuck in the birth canal uh, as an adult believer stuck in the birth canal. And this phrase, your birthday is supposed to become your earth day. And I immediately sort of had a revelation and I started to realize like, no, I think this is a God, God vision. Mm-hmm. I had this revelation that oftentimes the body of Christ has been stifled. Uh, we're supposed to be having impact in the earth, but we've been stifled in a certain way. And then it's like I was taken into this sort of like almost like a military tribunal hearing. I don't know if that's the right phrase. It's a sense I had. It wasn't like a court case, um, but it, it was like there was a presiding um, sort of judge or, or ruler in the room. And I heard this phrase, everybody was is here for a reason. You know, sometimes you can have a vision where you're an observer and sometimes you have a vision where you're a participant. And that told me, like, I'm participating in this. Like, I'm not just some casual bystander. Mm-hmm. Everyone's here for a reason. And it's like I maybe almost had, like, this angel as a guide or something like this in this vision. I don't know. But it was it was that sort of type of thing where it's like everyone's here for a reason. I'm like, okay. And then I realized that the father was sitting on sort of the, the, the I don't want to say judgment seat because it wasn't a judgment he was releasing. But in the place of authority, the father was sitting there. And, and he said um, that the traditional church was being held in contempt of the body of Christ. And that was something that I was pretty well aware of. So in other words, you know, I've worked for years at guarding my heart. You know, when, I, when I'd see a church with like a, you know, uh, a used car sales lot blow up forty foot inflatable um, monkey in the front of their church, blowing back and forth in the wind. You know, the type that go like this uh, in the wind with the blow up thing. You know, like come come to church here. You know, and on Sunday we'll have a bounce house after church and stuff like that. I struggle a little bit because there's a part of me. It's like it's great that you got them there, but but what's the substance of of what's happening? And if you have to get them there with a blow up inflatable monkey, is there transformation that's going to occur? You know, and so I, I just, I, I've, I've struggled in my heart for years to keep my heart from judgment, knowing that that's not my ministry, so it's not my place to judge it. But I still know sometimes leadership actions have an unintended consequence. And if I have to attract people with that much, I wonder if their will is actually, you know, my, my grandfather used to say, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if I, if I have to attract people into church with that much, are, are they really ready to surrender their life and be a follower of Christ? you know, and do the work of discipleship. So I've worked to guard my heart for that about years, but I'm in this encounter and it says the traditional church is being held in contempt of the body of Christ. And it's like, I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of aware of that thing that you're getting at, um, father. And, but then the next thing, remember everyone was here for a reason. So it wasn't just for me to observe. He said, but the organic church is being held in contempt of the traditional church. And I'm like, okay, I've worked to guard my heart, but apparently not well enough because I'm still having to hear this. And so, you know, what judgments do I have there, etc. So that was kind of it. And then I had a little bit of a chance where I felt like I had an audience with the father in a certain way. And I, was, I, I asked him just very plainly, um, why did this need to occur? Why did this hearing need to occur? And he said very strongly, very lovingly, but very simply because I will not have dissension in my ranks. Mm-hmm. And I realized, okay. And like then I had this like spillover of revelation that started happening, and I felt like the Lord was showing me, mm-hmm. you're exploring some expressions of organic church in this season, but there's going to come a time when actually there's going to be a demand amongst traditional churches to hear how you've prototyped some of these sorts of things. And to the extent that you have judgment against the traditional church is the extent that you'll be irrelevant to being able to help them. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a lot of what's happening too, is that we... Um, we have some people that are exploring territories in the kingdom that have the benefit of being smaller, agile organizations that don't have such demands on them financially, don't have such demands on them in terms of if you're leading 500 people, little, little pivots have big impacts, you know. And uh, if you're leading 50 people, you, you're more agile. And so I think that there's going to be some space where there's some prototyping centers And those prototyping centers, I believe that our church is called, we have a lot of prophetic words around that type of thing, some prophetic words that say you guys are a prototype church, where we're exploring what does it look like to have some new structures that support the priesthood of all believers, that engage in some of these tensions, engage in some of these forward forward thinking things. But knowing that the purpose of a prototype is to be able to rapidly research and develop some things so that you can take them to some other organizations that might not have as much agility, but can learn from you. And I, you know, I can tell them, here's what we've learned. Some of that's going to apply a little different to you, but that at least gives you a starting point. Because I think, like you say, there's a lot of pastors in this season that are probably thinking like, wow, you know, my church went from 500 people to 250 people. And what does that mean for us, you know, over COVID? Mm -hmm. And what's that mean for us? And what God, what is God doing? And so we've been at this house church, main church combo thing for about seven years now. And, you know, we've discovered some stuff there. And it's just in the last year and a half or two years that all of a sudden I'm hearing around about me from other church leaders. What's that you're doing? Oh, that's interesting. Boy, I've been thinking about house churches, you know. So it's like you can feel there's a momentum that's starting where people are wondering what are the structures for this new season? Yeah. What,
0: so can you we're, we're almost at time um, but can you just take a, a minute to explain like what are you guys actually doing? what does your what does your church look like?
2: Yeah a couple couple things So first and third Sundays we have main church uh, meaning all together um, and then second and fourth Sunday we have house churches and then fifth Sundays which happen four times a year we have like uh, church family days like picnics cookouts, uh, snow tubing that sort of type of fun stuff. And um, the uh, main churches probably look somewhat, you know, uh, typical uh, for a traditional church, charismatic church gathering. You know, maybe the only thing that's different is that the microphone is, is passed around, you know, a good bit. Um, and then the, um, the second and fourth Sundays are house churches, and we actually rotate house churches. So four t- three times a year, uh, the house church leaders get together and actually sort of shuffle the deck, so to speak. So you're not in the same house church long term. You actually are sort of rotated through um, the different different house churches, different leaders leading house churches, and um, and different groupings within house churches. So everyone kind of gets to know each other and spend that time together. So we've been at that sort of a structure or something close to it for almost seven years. And it's been really powerful. And it's interesting because you would think, some at first I was like, how is this even different than doing like home groups during the week? But there's a big fundamental shift when you say a home group during a week versus Um, you know, gathering in houses is actually the Sunday service that week. And, you know, we've said for years and decades, the church is not the building. The church is the people. But once you actually get people in a house on Sunday, they get to grapple with, like, do we actually believe that the church is the people? And if the pastor's not here and if the worship team's not here, is it still church? And um, I think that, that it took our folks probably a year or two to answer some of those questions in their heart. And since then, it's been great. So, you know, the kids that have grown up in it, will ask questions like, is church at church today or is church at houses today? You know, and that. they see it all as church. And um, and so so that culture has really shifted. And I think what it does is it creates an opportunity for the body of believers to exercise the gifts and, and prophesy to one another, encourage one another, unpack the sermon from the previous week, fellowship with one another, pray for one another. And so a lot of the one anothering just happens more naturally in the house church environment, as you might expect. Uh, because in the main church environment, only so many people can be a- involved in a very active sort of leadership type way. But in the house church environment, it kind of positions people, um, you know, much more in a space where they can play an active role in in what is actually the church service for that week. Yeah,
0: that's awesome. Um, and I want to ask you some more questions on that, but I know we're we're kind of at time. So in the house in the house churches, um, well, one I love I love what you guys are doing, um, and there's. I know that several others have popped up in in Columbus doing similar yep. things, and, and I, uh, exactly. I love it. I love that it's happening, um, and I love too because I think I think we're we overchurch people. Like we have so many events on the calendar typically that like people are in church. Mm-hmm. If you're in church five days a week, you're not much good outside the church. You know, you um, are not. And and Jesus said in the parable of of the minas, I think it is. He said, "Do business until I come," and business happens out there. Yeah, you know. And so it's exactly. like, but I love that, the once a week gathering. That's, that's a, yeah, it's just, it's so beautiful. And then, you know, go out and be in the world and, and, and love people and do the work of the gospel. Yes. Um, so yeah. the house churches are themselves. What, what is that? So you said that you have leaders is, is there, are there teachings? Is there worship eating meals together? Like, what does that look like?
2: Yeah. Um, almost all of the above. Um, so it starts with a meal, whether. The, the first we gather eight times before we rotate again in those house churches you know because it's, it's every uh, four months um, but the first and last time we have a full meal together so more fellowship time in that way um, beyond that it's usually more like a continental breakfast type thing so it's a little simpler and not as much burden um, and then worship together uh, prophesy pray for one another that sort of thing there's a goal uh, it's not a goal it's like an uh, assumption that there'd be some conversation or, or unpacking of the sermon from the previous week, and that happens probably about two-thirds of the time. So in other words, our house church leaders very much know you follow what the Lord's doing, and sometimes you just end up ministering to one another the entire time, or you end up off on another conversation. But if we really believe the Lord's speaking through sort of the main teachings, then there's some, there's some you know, stewardship of saying, if this is what the Lord's speaking to our church family, let's make sure we devote ourselves to the apostles doctrine so to speak in addition to devoting ourselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer and fellowship you know acts 242 so so there's um historically what i've done is that we actually transcribe and write up the sermon and so that way it becomes a, a physical resource in addition to the audio resource and people tend to study it leading up to house church mm-hmm. sort of review it um, look at it again and i know from the teaching side of things and this is why I think we've seen that people are not growing less with only 24 sermons a year, is by reviewing it, you know, you, you remember like 5% the first time yeah. you listen through it. But then when you review it, it becomes so much more. It doesn't go from like 5 to 10%. A lot of times it go from like 5 to 20%. It's exponential. And if you were to review it again, and so what happens is they hear it once, they maybe listen to the message again, and then some people will even review the notes, or the, the write-up a little bit or whatever. And then now they're in a house church talking about it, and that they end up having three, four touches with that with that content before we move on to a new piece two weeks later. And I think that that's a transformative piece. Wow. So, so basically, it's Acts two forty two. It's it's the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. The breaking of bread and prayer is kind of what happens in house churches. Yeah. And it sounds like a lot of your pastoring would potentially happen there, which is is nice those are exactly yeah and what's interesting is and this might be just an instructive thing for those that are interested in this is that whereas we started with house church facilitators that had more of sort of like a structured time um now it moved about a year or two into that about five years ago the house church leaders were really like can we just like really lead it and direct it i'm like that's fine but you're going to really have to pray into like how you want it to go and what the lord's saying and stuff they're like yeah it's what we want to do so it's like i position as leaders. And now more and more they're stepping into a role is really seeing themselves as pastors in the community um, of, of believers. And so their, their growth and stepping into that sort of the, um, the ministry that they have as house church leaders has been great. And whereas we try to have about twice as many house church leaders as we have house churches at any given time so that we all work together as a team, but you don't have to lead a house church every single term. You know, it's like kind of one term on, one term off or two terms on, one term off. You know, so that no one is lifting any real heavy load a uh, long time. It becomes very, hopefully, sustainable. And it has been for us so far. Yeah. No, that's great. I love it. Uh, we didn't get to get into
0: education more. I really wanted to get into that, but that's that's okay. Uh, yeah, in the future. We'll have future conversations about that. Um, well, I want to kind of land this. Um, so the, there's a question that I ask all my guests. And, uh, basically yeah. if, if everyone, uh, across the world was tuning in right now, believers, non-believers everyone, um, and, and this doesn't have to be the gospel. I know that's typically people's go-to, but what, what would be on your heart to share to them? Can you just speak right to the, to the audience and just share from your heart, whatever comes out?
2: Mm. For the, um, for the body of Christ surrender is our path forward. I think we've dealt way too long in judgments um Jesus said if you you know um if you will to do the will of God John 7:17 7, you'll know concerning the doctrine whether it's from God or whether it's from man or whether I speak on my own authority and I think that we've been dealing in two two dimensions in the body of Christ and we're arguing over doctrines not realizing that our wills playing a huge role in these in our understanding of things our wills actually governing our interpretation of doctrine And I think as we talk about sort of the next for the church, which is such a theme on this podcast and such a theme in my heart, and we connect so much on that, Ryan. But as we talk about that, I really think that the path forward is through surrender. And, you know, God works in us, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So I would just encourage the world um, to really consider where's their will in a lot of these things. I think we've got a lot in the airwaves, both, you know, just in, the, in, in uh, culture, but also prophetically in the church. There's a lot floating around in the airwaves, but I think we each have a responsibility to look after our own hearts and to surrender before the Lord and say, how is my will dictating what I'm hearing and how I'm hearing and what I'm feeling to build, etc." And I think sometimes we're going to find that the, the next step that we've been looking for, the wisdom that we've been looking for is actually going to come on the other side of surrender. Mm. so good. So good. Awesome.
0: How can how can people connect with you?
2: Yeah, uh, three ways. Um, again, we've talked about the Surrendered Will book that's on Amazon and I think everywhere books are sold, so you can check that out. Uh, my friends Mark Bassett or Mark Crawford, Chris Bassett, and I have a has have a um, a platform called InsightNow.co, and we've got four programs a week on there, um, not just from us but from others Kingdom programs. So InsightNow.co. And then also our church website has all my messages. And if you're in Columbus, you can connect with me there. Agathos.org. agatho org. Awesome. Well,
0: Peter, thank you so much for being on. This was fun. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, this is... Oh, I had a blast. Man, I love it. So you guys, you guys all just got to get an insight in, uh, into uh, some of our conversations we've been having the last few months. and Which is so yeah, fun. Uh, man, I, I love it. I the whole first episode, I was in tears. I don't know if you could tell, but I, man, when I talk to you, it's, uh, I just feel God. I
2: I love the synergy. Yeah. yeah, And the friendship. Yeah. It's
0: beautiful. Well, thank you so much. And, uh, thank you guys for listening and you know, somebody that needs to hear this podcast. So I, I just send it to your, to a friend post on social media, whatever that looks like, help us get the word out. Uh, until next time, this has been the fire podcast. Did you love this episode of the Fire Podcast? I certainly hope you did. I personally want to ask you to please like and follow all of our social media, follow and subscribe on the Apple Podcasts app, on the Spotify app, and then leave us reviews. Leaving us reviews on those podcasts helps us out so much, more than most people understand. And also share this podcast with your friends. You know somebody who needs to hear this. It might be your pastor. It might be a friend who's who's struggling with their faith or has something different in their hearts. And then lastly, please support what we're doing. You can go to firemovement.com slash support. There you can give a one-time or monthly gift. You can also uh, use Venmo, and it's at firemovement, or Cash App, which is dollar sign Fire movement. And your support helps us to grow this podcast and continue what we're doing. And as always, we are on all of the podcast platforms. So Apple, Google, Anchor, Spotify, and many more, as well as YouTube. So if if you prefer to watch video, you can watch video on Spotify or you can watch video on YouTube. And you can also listen on Facebook on mobile. So uh, thank you so much for your support. Thank you for being in this with us. And uh, let's continue to grow this podcast.